With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. My name is Kate Prusser, and I am the managing editor of Lookout Landing, and I am not joined tonight by John Trupin. Instead, I have Ben Thoen, uh, who is our prospect writer and our minor league expert. So, Ben, how are you tonight? Doing great. How are you guys doing? Very good. Ben, why don't you introduce who we have a guest tonight? Why don't you introduce our guest? Yeah, so tonight we are joined by a uh, Mariners farmhand, Lindsay. And Lindsay, I'm going to have to defer to you on the last name. <laughs> controversy at the site. So how is it actually pronounced? Uh, it's okay. You're not the first one. Um, before every single series, the uh, the uh, visiting announcer or the home announcer will come over to me, and I'll always be one of the few guys in the locker room who will ask me how I pronounce my last name. But it's actually pronounced Coggle. So, uh, yeah, that's perfect. <laughs> Uh, that's basically how we were saying it, right? Yeah, it's it's exactly how you were saying it. Yeah. Well, I think I, I think that's what I was advancing, so yeah. I'm going to take credit for that. I've heard all manner of everything before. I'm sure. Where are you talking to us from tonight? I'm actually in my uh, apartment in Orlando, Florida. So I call Orlando home during the off season for the most part, and I kind of. Uh, this off season, I've shifted between here and um, Venezuela. So I was there for a little while, but for the past six weeks, I've been here in Orlando. And pretty soon you'll be headed to Arizona, right? Yeah. Yeah. Making the trek out West for spring training. Hopefully um, I just got the packet and the mail a couple of days ago. And I think pitchers and catchers report on March 4th, I think is the date. So um, a little bit more than a month away. Exciting. Uh, what are you, you get ready? What am I doing to get ready? Mm-hmm. Um, are you like mostly off right now? Just no. So this this off season. So I went to Venezuela for a little while, and I built my arm up while I was in Venezuela. Uh, I took the couple of weeks after the season was over with and I think I went to Venezuela in the beginning of November and I was there for six or seven weeks until December 15th so I built my arm up and then I came home and I kind of haven't picked up a actual I took some time off from picking up an actual baseball but I've actually been doing a weighted ball program since I've been home um, ever since I got home I've been doing a weighted ball program three times a week so I've been trying to stay on top of that and stay persistent with that and see if I can find any positive results uh, that can correlate to uh, some success on the mound in spring. Have you done the weighted ball program before or is that something that you've picked up? 
this is actually this is the first time I've done it. Um, yeah, I just picked it up recently. I saw a lot of guys doing it last year, and I took some mental notes. Actually, I talked to Andrew Moore about it during spring training uh, when I was backing up a big league game, and I saw him doing it. And I had heard a lot of guys talk about the type of pitcher that Andrew was. And when I heard guys in the organization talk about the type of pitcher that Andrew was, I immediately wanted to you know, find out as much as I could about him because that's you know I, that's how I. That's how I pitch. I'm not saying I'm the exact same pitcher that Andrew is. He's got a, probably a much better changeup than I have. But uh, we both are control guys who tend to pound the zone. And uh, I, I sat down and I had a really nice conversation with him. And the first time I talked to him, I was, you know, about, He's great. yeah, I, I knew exactly right away that he was somebody that I could that would I could pick their brain and kind of feed off of a little bit, even though I'm a little bit older than him. You know, he had a lot of wisdom and he's a student of the game for sure. And he's well, been doing had some incredible teachers. Yeah. He was very yeah. lucky at that um that Oregon State program is their pitching coach, uh, Ned Yeski is a genius. Yeah. I don't throw that yeah. word around lightly, but he's yeah. a he's a genius. Yeah, he spoke very highly of him. And he was we were we talked for probably thirty minutes the first time I met him, just about uh pitching philosophy and the way to ball program. And then throughout the rest of spring training and then throughout the whole season, I kind of picked up on how many guys were actually doing it and what they were doing. And then I went to Venezuela and I saw a lot of guys doing it there. And I was like, you know, I'm getting a little bit older. I might as well exhaust all my resources. And I haven't heard really anybody say anything bad about it. I've heard uh, a lot of guys say that they picked up a couple miles an hour and a few guys say that it made their arm feel better. But that's the worst that I heard about it was guys saying that it made their arm feel better. I haven't heard anybody say anything bad about it. So I figured I'd give it a try. So is this driveline then? It's aspects of driveline for sure. It's not – I just – I watched people for a full season and like I said and then in winter ball and I saw what they were doing and I – took aspects from everybody's routine and, and incorporated it kind of into my own to kind of figure out what I thought would be beneficial for me. And I kind of just, I mean, for the most part, I'm sure it's probably 95% driveline. I mean, everybody gets those uh, exercises and those mechanical repetitions from that driveline program. But I am not looking at a driveline sheet of paper and copying it verbatim. So it's kind of like, uh, a mixture of what I thought was the best that everybody had to offer. Is there any chance that you started doing that like halfway through last season? <laughs> uh, that's funny. Um, no, I didn't. I just started it this off season. The big thing that changed for me halfway through last season actually was a shift in mental preparation. I was able to utilize our mental coach. His name is uh, Franco. I call him Franco. I mean, I think his first name is James, but I'm just known by Franco. And, um, wait, James Franco. No, 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 not James. Yeah. yeah. Um, what's David, David Franco, maybe. I don't know his first name. Uh, yeah, everybody, everybody, you know, everybody, yeah, everybody goes by last names in baseball for sure. He's just Franco to the guys in the clubhouse. Um, Uh, and Ben is asking about this because, uh, you had a pretty sharp, just to catch up people who maybe are not Lindsay Coggle expert. Yeah. Not that there's not, there's not too many of them out there. (laughs) 
Um, you had a very strong second half of the season compared to the first half, where you carried a 5.91 ERA first half, dropped that incredibly to just a little over two in the second half. So uh, obviously yeah. a big shift. We would love to talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> it was tough there for a little while, for sure. <laughs> How did you do it? And can you teach yeah. to do it too, please? It had been a long time since I ex experienced failure for that, that long of a, of a time period in baseball, um, in professional baseball, for sure. Um, kind of self-doubting myself there for a little while throughout that first half. It was tough to get through that. But... I kind of just had a shift of time reference, really. And um, one of the major things that uh, Franco said to me that stuck with me was, you know, you prepare, you put the preparation in, and then we'll worry about the results later. And um, I would consider myself to be a fairly um, analytical person. And I like to analyze situations, and I can sometimes make the situation bigger than it needs to be. And there were plenty of times where I was on the mound and I was, uh, I would be doing that or before a game, I would think about stuff that shouldn't really be crossing your mind instead of just focusing on the next five minutes or, you know, people talk about when you, when you're on the mound, it's, it's just the next pitch and it's overhyped and it's said over and over and over again, of course. And, but it's really true. I mean, it's wisdom that's been passed down for a long time because it works. It's just hard to implement. It's simple wisdom, but and it, it's right. hard. It's like hard. Yeah, yeah. Diet and yeah, but it's hard. It's really hard. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but when you kind of just—that's actually actually a, a perfect metaphor for that. Um, when you just commit to it fully, it kind of—it's a little freeing. It can be a little freeing just to realize that. You've done everything that you could possibly do. You put the preparation in for the four days in between starts. You go out there, you compete, and you'll worry about the results when you need to worry about the results. Now is not a time to worry about the results. Now is a time to compete. And we kind of changed the uh, pre-pitch routine and the preparation before starts a little bit. And that was a kind of a big factor in kind of just, I wouldn't call it tricking myself, but, um, just the self, Sometimes yeah, the self-talk tricking yourself yeah. a little, isn't it? Yeah. There's no doubt about that for sure. I mean, the self-talk and just, it's amazing what, what can happen when you shift your line of thinking from a defensive mode of, a, of a, a strategic thing to, to an attack mode. It's just like, um, it's, it's a lot different when you're sitting there. Like, for instance, I'll give you guys an example. Uh, before every bullpen and before every start now, I will draw a line on the back of the mound, and then I'll put a C behind the line. And every time I step over the line, I always say to myself, compete. And then I step on the mound. And it's something little, and it sounds uh, trivial, and it sounds you know like it couldn't make that much of a difference. But just switching that mindset from being on the defense to being the attacker and accepting the challenge uh, forthrightly is really was what I think was really the major turnaround in my season. That is so interesting. I'm curious about who, so when you started having that conversation with Franco, was that initiated from you? Were the resources there? Like uh, what did the Mariners do for you? 
Yeah, for sure. The Mariners are really big in that aspect uh, of the mental part of the game, but you also have to be willing and open and receptive to wanting to foster that part of your game for sure. And there are guys in the clubhouse that are a little bit turned off to it. And there are some guys that are willing to utilize that part of the game to um, try to find a, an edge anywhere they can find it. And I've, like I've said, like I said before, I've, I've always been an analytical person. I've always been what I consider to be. Sometimes it can get in, I can get in my own way because I think too much, but, um, so I was trying to find a way in which I could use the, the wanting to think to my advantage and, uh, to kind of make it a, a catalyst for good instead of something that could be dead weight and pull me down. But Franco was great. Um, we shared a lot of the same philosophical insights and we clicked right away. And then there's another guy in the organization who is kind of alongside Franco. His name is Jimmy Van Ostrand. I think his last name is, it's funny. He goes by Jimmy. Um, but, uh, he was great too. So they got two strength, uh, mental coaches in that organization. And, um, you know, during spring training, we meet every single day for like a 15 minute little thing before we go out on the field. And a lot of guys, they, they kind of, you know, roll their eyes at that and they don't take, you know, because there is some parts of it that can be repetitive. And there's some parts of it where it seems like it could be absolute common sense. And I get that because most of it is common sense, but if you can go into it with an open mind and you can be willing to, just tell yourself, you know what, if I sit here for 15 minutes for 30 days in a row and I only gain one thing that could help my career, then that's, that's one thing. And you have to be willing and receptive to, to, to learn those things for sure. So Lindsay, just to provide a little bit more kind of context for people who, um, by any chance haven't really kind of read our pieces on you in the past, uh, the Mariners, I think it was last November, signed you uh, right after you'd won. I don't know if there's a name for it, but it's like the <laughs> picture of the year in, uh, independently, correct? Yeah. I went to, uh, I was with the Dodgers. I got drafted in 2012 and I played with the Dodgers for a couple of seasons. And then I had shoulder surgery. I had an arthroscopic scope done on my shoulder. I woke up from surgery with positive, what I would, what I would characterize as positive results. They were, favorable results, meaning that my rot uh, that my, uh, labrum wasn't torn. There was a couple, a little bit of fraying and there was a couple of flaps and all that stuff. But, uh, in the grand scheme of things, it was, it was a good, it was good news to wake up to. But even with that good news to wake up to, it took a long time to start feeling better. A long time. When you start getting your shoulder poked around with and scaffolds messing around in there, uh, I guess it doesn't matter what they do as minor as it <laughs> could be. Yeah, it took a it took a long time. I had that done in July, I think, of 2015, maybe. And then I went home for the rest of the season and I rehabbed and I came to spring training the next year early. And I was in a lot of pain when I was pitching, but I was able to compete compete. I was able to, to tow the rubber, but then the Dodgers released me in that spring training. And I always told myself that once I got released, that was it. I was done with baseball. I have my degree. I'll move on to other aspects of my life that I'm very excited about, but it kind of didn't feel like 
I had closed that chapter of my life because I never got the opportunity to pitch post-surgery. I went through six months of rehab and put in the work every single day, and then I didn't get the opportunity to compete, and it was a really bad taste in my mouth. Mm. So I told myself I was going to suck up my pride. I never wanted to do it, but I was going to do it, and I was going to go play indie ball, which actually turned out to be a great situation. I'm not going to sit here and lie to you guys and say that it wasn't extremely hard some days because it was extremely hard some days. Um, being 20, whatever I was, 24 years old, playing independent baseball in podunk towns across the country and, you know, making peanuts, um, and, uh, playing in front yeah, literally, yeah. And, uh, playing in front of a couple hundred people sometimes in Joplin, Missouri. And, uh, but it was good. I mean, I made, I made some, some good, some good friendships and it was kind of like a, it was weird. It was like this indie ball is like a dichotomy between professional baseball and college baseball. So it's like you're getting paid, but it's a lot more about winning and the individual doesn't really matter as much as in independent baseball. So that was kind of cool to see that aspect of baseball again, instead of just developing prospects. Um, cause there's no farm system. There's just your team. Right. And so that was interesting and that was cool. And I appreciated that. And, uh, and I went into it with the mindset that I was going to play one year of any ball. That was it. I was going to play one year of any ball. I was going to give it everything I had. If I got picked up, then I got picked up. Great. If not, then I could, then I could rest assured knowing that I did everything that I could do. And, uh, thankfully I did get picked up. Well, actually I had the opportunity to go to Venezuela first. I went to Venezuela and then I got picked up shortly thereafter. I came home from Venezuela by the Mariners, uh, last off season. And, uh, I've been in that organization since, and it's, uh, it's a wonderful organization. I love playing in the Mariners organization after spending four years in the Dodgers organization, I can, I mean, I'm not here to, to, to compare the two, but I love playing in the Mariners organization. And I, people always say, you know, you don't know. I hear a lot of guys in the organization that will, that will complain about, you know, the fact that there's a log jam or the fact that, uh, you know, this or that. And I always make it a point to try to tell them, look, it doesn't matter where you play. You could be playing for the worst team in the entire league. There's a log jam in every single organization. You got to, yeah, I bet our log jam does not look like the Dodgers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's a different log yeah. jam. You don't even know log jam until you play in the Dodgers organization. Yeah. And, um, I mean, I, I like the personnel in the Mariners organization, and I think it's, uh, they've they've got some great guys in there, and um, I get along with a lot of the guys, and I just I can't speak highly enough about the organization, to be honest with you. What are some of the things that are different um, from your experience, from what the Dodgers kind of push to what the Mariners push, or are some of those things similar? Um. Well, it's a smaller market team, obviously. So the funds aren't there to do certain things. And you notice that right away, like in spring training, like in spring training, the food isn't as good as it was with the Dodgers. Um, but it's stuff like that, that really doesn't matter to me, honestly. Um, I mean, it's nice to show up to the field every single day and be fed free range chicken, organic eggs and steel cut and steel cut oatmeal and stuff like that. And that's all wonderful. But, um, I'd much rather have a 
a uh, organizational philosophy that matches up with what I'm trying to accomplish. And the organizational pitching philosophy is quite possibly maybe a complete 180 from the Dodgers. So um, I know that the Mariners still look at the, the spin rates and all that stuff. And they, you know, I don't think there's probably any team in baseball that doesn't look at spin rates, but the Mariners base a lot less decisions off of things like that than um, the Dodgers did. And um, you've kind of felt more like, more like a number in that organization and you feel more like a, you know, an actual I would say person in the, in the Mariners organization. And it's just a more, it's, it has a more blue collar feel to it. Um, you know, LA's LA, you know, it's, it's Hollywood. And, um, I don't know. It just has just a little bit more, more blue collar feel to it. I would say. Um, when you talk about the organizational pitching philosophy, what are some of the things that they, uh, we've heard that they have, they, they have specific goals for, that are tailored to each pitcher um, or each player in the minors. You have a list of things that you're supposed to be working on, be accomplishing to kind of make you the best player. Has that been your experience? Yeah. So that, that's a, a great point, actually. There, That's another huge difference. Um, when I first got to my affiliate last year in AA, I went down into uh, Brownie's office, our manager, and I sat down and we wrote down a list of what I thought my strengths were and what I thought my weaknesses were and what I was going to do to tailor um, my strengths towards my game and what I was going to do to um, kind of work on my weaknesses. And that was just, I had never done that before. And I thought that was a really useful exercise. And, um, yeah, and then you meet with them every single month. You have player meetings every single month and you go over whether or not you're meeting your expectations as far as, uh, improving on your weaknesses and whether or not you're still able to incorporate your strengths into your game. And it was, it was definitely helpful. And it's definitely, a. I would say that's that's a huge difference. It was just they have a lot more invested in, I would say, a lot more. It feels like they have a lot more time and energy invested in their players as opposed to the organization that I was previously with just being able to say, you know, like, do it or we'll find somebody else who does. You know, I'm not sure that I would have still been playing baseball if I was a in the Dodgers organization and I had the first half like I had last year. I don't think the Dodgers would have stuck stuck with me and um and let me go through a couple of uh crash and burns and scrape my knees as much as I did. Um and I'm thankful for the Mariners for that, for sure. It sounds like obviously you think uh, pretty highly of the organization, so I'm assuming no doubt that factored into your decision to uh, sign pretty early on this off season to uh, come back for this upcoming season. But um, I don't really know if you've kept a pulse on uh, minor league free agency or if you can really discuss it much with us, but do you, I mean, this has kind of been like a historically slow moving off season, both at the major league level, but perhaps even more so at the minor league level. Uh, do you have any kind of like insight as to like what might be the cause for that? Yeah. So to answer the first part of your uh, kind of, to address the first part of that, I made it clear to them before the season was even over last year that if they wanted me back, that that was where I wanted to be. So I told them that, and um, thankfully they, they did. So that was taken care of quickly. 
which I was happy about. Um, I don't know. I know there was all that talk about trying the Mariners trying to get Otani, and then that kind of was really heartbreaking for a lot of people. Um, <laughs> yeah. I know it was really heartbreaking. So yeah, I know. We're um, to cut that part of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we have a rule on the site right now. We can't say his name. That's hysterical. It has to be redacted. That's really funny. Referring to him. So yeah, okay. that. that well, I know we. I know we were trying to get Voldemort uh, last year, and I mean this off season, and um, <laughs> we didn't. It didn't happen. And I know we made a lot of moves to try to make that happen, um, but I don't know. I know we we went out and signed a couple of free agent guys. I was actually playing with a couple of them in Venezuela. I was playing with Seth Frankoff, and he was a good. He was a great pitcher, and um, he's another one I think who is. Uh, I might be mixing him up with Ryan Garten. I thought Frankoff was into the weighted ball program as well, but yeah, I don't know. I didn't. I never. He was only there for a little while when I was there, but he actually signed a contract with Korea, so um, that was that was probably a dagger uh, for the organization. But um, you know, I'd like to say that I hope it's because they have trust in guys like me. So um, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, um, but there's still a lot of really good young talent in the organization, you know, like guys like Andrew Moore, who might have a shot at uh, cracking the opening day rotation, who's going to be successful. You know, I, I, I believe that wholeheartedly. I mean, if you, if you, if you give him 30 starts, he's going to be healthy. First of all, I think, um, for, for an entire season. And if you give him 30 starts, he's going to give you, uh, a lot of quality starts. He's just, I know he had a, he had his, his ups and downs, um, last year in his first year in the big leagues, but man, it's, you'd be hard pressed to find guys who didn't have their struggles when they first got called up to that level of, of, uh, of play. But he's, he, had a, he had a really rough, uh, a rough path because of the injuries at the major league level, and you know, going from Double A AA to Triple A to big club, and then back down, and then back up, and then back down. Yeah, I mean that'll mess with anyone's. Yeah, he's good. I mean, he's he just he's matches up perfectly with the with the organizational pitching philosophy, and he's somebody that people should be excited about. I truly believe that, and. Couldn't be a better person. I can't speak highly enough about him. Um, so there's a lot of young guys. You know, they went out and made a lot of moves last year. They got uh, Posey, and um, then they got that uh, – I forget the other kid's name who tore his – Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that tore his UCL. Yeah, the – No, the other – Oh, yeah, Smiley too. But the other kid who they got from the Braves with Max – who tore his UCL? Oh, Shea Simmons. Yeah. Well, no, not Simmons. There was another kid. There was a starter. <laughs> you guys, yeah, they went out and got so many guys last year, and um, he tore his UCL the first game he got called up last year. Oh, uh, Weber. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And he's really young too. I mean, he's fairly young. I think he's probably 24, 25, maybe. It looks like he's about thirteen. Yeah. We yeah. Kid, we call him kid pitcher. Yeah, he really he does. Kid pitcher yeah. on the site for a while. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, it was unfortunate what happened last year with all those injuries. But, um, yeah, I mean, the pieces are in place. It just might take a little bit longer than people than people hoped. <laughs> I forget how many of these guys you pitched with just because of the the moves, guys going up and down. Uh, you would have seen Chase DeYoung, too. Yeah, yeah. I'm actually living with him fellow, in spring training. Oh, well, fellow vets of uh, the Dodgers organization. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, that's another great example too. I mean, Chase had a, um, I know he was really aggravated and he was kind of down on himself with the year that he had last year. Yeah, the frustrating year. Yeah, I mean, he was battling some stuff off the field too. We would have a lot of talks about that. Um, so it seems to me that he's gotten that stuff under control and we'll see what happens when he comes in the spring, but he's a great kid too. And he's another one that kind of just pounds the strike zone. You know, I mean, I, I remember telling people last year when I was in spring training, the good thing is, is that I'm, f I'm finally in an organization that values what I do in terms of throwing strikes. Uh, the bad, like when I was with the Dodgers, it was like, You'd have guys that were throwing 100 miles an hour that had no idea where the ball was going. Um, the bad news is, is that everybody does it. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah just, I mean, they've targeted a very... Yeah, niche market. Yeah, for sure. Pitcher, for sure. Um, but also, they seem to be targeting guys who sort of share your similar analytic mindset. Um, just in different guys I've talked to around the organization, I have noticed. Oh, either baseball players are a lot smarter now. <laughs> no, are, that's not the. These, I mean, these, are, these yeah. are specifically guys that they are tracking down. No, like, yeah. Can you some kind of like IQ screen? <laughs> you get the... No, um, I think they just go out and get a, a couple more college guys. I think. Um. So I don't know. I mean, there was a lot more younger talent in the Dodgers organization, and a lot more, a lot less life wisdom. I would say, and a lot more. Uh, googly-eyed ambition that uh, was all over the place. Um, and those, a lot of those guys had a lot of money and it was kind of, I'm not sure that uh, an 18 year old is supposed to have as much money as some of those kids were having in that organization. But uh, you know, there's, I've definitely noticed that as well um, throughout the, throughout the locker room, like guys like Brett Ash, um, the kid we traded away last year. Um, Nider. Uh, Nider's a really smart kid too. A really smart kid. Even he's a high, he's a high school kid, but he's, he's really yeah. smart. Um, I know that you sort of, uh, it seemed like you sort of served as an, in an advisory role. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 it seemed like the younger guys were like kind of looking up to you at how to be. In the well, I appreciate that very much. Um, yeah, Nider and I got along right away, um, and uh, I would say that that role was kind of filled by. I hope it was filled by. I'd like to think that it was filled by me and a kid, a kid named Justin DeFreitas. Oh, um, yeah, DeFreitas. Yeah, who's um, another great, another great guy who's you know right in that same exact type of mindset. But um, yeah, we were both kind of like the the old souls in the locker room. I would say, and. Um, you know, I know DeFreitas and I both would kind of make it a point to, uh, to take Nidert under our wing, like, uh, on various road trips, we would switch out roommates so that we could be rooming with Nidert. <laughs> so, yeah. So that, uh, we could kind of offer any, anything that we had to, to him. I mean, it's gotta be weird to be in double A at, I mean, how old was he? 20? Yeah. I mean, that's really, really young. <laughs> Really, really young. Yeah, I was so. sad to lose him when we, uh, of all the various moves, I think that one made me saddest from this offseason. Yeah, me too. I reached out to him. I told him congratulations, but it was with, uh, it was not without any bitterness attached to it. I can promise mm -hmm. you that. Um, 
you and DeFreitas both enjoy guitar, right? Oh, big time. Yeah. Really, have, like, really uh, big time. Kind of dueling piano <laughs> set up. The- you know, there would be times where I would bring my guitar to the field and I would play it before starts and stuff of that nature. And, um, I, you know, I play every single day for sure. During the season, I have the opportunity to play a lot more than I do during the off season, I would say, because I have a lot more time on my hands after games and before games and stuff like that. So I, I, I tell people all the time, it's important to create an identity outside of baseball um, because it's not going to be there forever. I mean, very, very, very few people have the opportunity to make the conscious decision themselves to take the Jersey off their back. Most of the time it's taken off their back for them. And when that happens, it can be an identity crisis. If you haven't, um, butchered yourself up against that and kind of created something to, uh, to fall back on. And a lot of guys don't do that. So I tried my best to be as well-rounded as I can. And guitar is a huge part of that. And I enjoy playing uh, a great deal and it, it helps me get my mind off of the game, you know, no matter whether I have a, a great start or a start that I was a little bit down on myself about. I know that, you know, I can kind of at least pick up the guitar and play something and, and kind of forget about it either way, which can be a great thing, um, at least for a couple minutes. So it's uh, I'd like it's to point out that is the first time, uh, and I have a good vocabulary, but that is the first time the word buttressed has been used in the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I would not have guessed that it would have come out of the mouth of one of the players we were interviewing. Wow. Yeah. So uh, that's, I, I, appreci- I appreciate a good vocabulary. Oh, I appreciate that. Thank you very, thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, so it's a big part of my life. I, I like music a lot. I mean, I like... Um, I like a lot of Seattle music, Pearl Jam, Nirvana, Jimi Hendrix, um, Alice in Chains, all that West Coast, uh, Chili Peppers, um, Incubus, um, John Mayer, a lot of, a lot of, uh, music that's come out of the, the, uh, the Seattle area. Yeah, for sure. Great music. Yeah, we're not claiming John Mayer. John no, 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 no. Yeah, no, he's from just, just the West, the general West coast. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I'm excited to hopefully get to, uh, to to that city at some point this year um at least to tacoma and make a day trip to seattle in the beginning of the year and kind of check out some of that history for sure oh you know pearl jam is playing at safeco this year really yeah i have not seen pearl jam in concert um but that is definitely on the to-do list for sure well uh there's a there's a golden goal set for yourself i'll look it up right now yeah that'd be that would be interesting. That would be a great concert to go to, especially in, in, I mean, even though Eddie Vedder is a, is a Cubs fan, I'm sure he'll put on a great show at Safeco for sure. Um, speaking about goals for next year, what, what are you working on? What are you looking towards? Uh, what will be a successful 2018 for you? Oh man. I try uh, that's that's been another thing that i've changed about uh my game i guess or i would just maybe call it my overall attitude towards life in that i don't really set too many long-term goals anymore it's more short-term goals um i'm talking like even a short term as the next day so um my goal tomorrow is to wake up and go to work 
and come back and get a good workout in and get my heart rate up and um I don't have to do my my weighted ball program but then I'll wake up the next day and then I'll set goals for the next day and um it's just incremental steps every single day and then that's what how you look up and I mean that's what I think how you look up and then you you know in five months you look back and you're like oh I was back there five months ago um and it happens one little tiny step at a time um because when you break it down into those short amounts of time frames and those little amounts of measurements that's when you can really you feel like you can accomplish that and um yeah, a big goal can feel overwhelming, yeah. right? Like, oh, I want to, I want to cut my ERA and yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, there's just no start out doing that. And... There's no plan. There's no plan to that. Um, I would love to say that a goal of mine is to be in the big leagues next year, and that sounds great. That sounds wonderful, and that sounds. I mean, obviously, that is a desire of mine. But when you talk about goals, you have to talk about formulating a plan, and um, that's a daily process. So it's day by day for me. Well, maybe put, um, August 8th <laughs> in the back of your mind, just in the back, maybe, maybe even Tacoma. Yeah. Like August 8th or 10th, because that is when you would be able to see Pearl Jam. <laughs> yeah. They just came for a workout that day. Yeah, I know. Yeah. They just came out with uh, the schedule too. So I'll have to see if we're, we're in town. Um, I pray that we have an off day. That would be wonderful. But, uh, regardless, if not, I'm definitely gonna take advantage of all that the, uh, Seattle surrounding area has to offer hopefully next year. Um, given the fact that I really enjoy, being outside and, and hiking and all that stuff. I'm excited to see that part of the country. It's one of the very few parts of the country that I haven't been to. So, Well, we're definitely going to be rooting to see you at least in Tacoma, if not higher. Yeah, I hope so. That's, that's the goal, as we should say. The goal, the big goal made up of a lot of... Yeah, frag, fragmented down into a bunch of little tiny ones, for sure. I think what I've really enjoyed about talking about talking with some of the prospects who we've had on the podcast is I come away always with a better sense of baseball. Um, but also just like, I get some life stuff. Yeah. Like take a big goal and break it down into little bits. So don't let your job be your identity. Yeah, no, that's great. That's great. And it's just, I mean, that's, that's really cool. I, that's, um, baseball has a lot to teach people if they're willing to put up with a lot of pain in, in the short term. I always tell people that, um, and bad food, and yeah. bus rides. And but, um, the majority of, I always tell, like I told Nider plenty of times, um, the majority of your life is just characterized by failure. Um, it's a lot of failure and baseball people who have, a, even an elementary level, understanding of baseball know that it's an entire game built around failure. So, um, being able to withstand that and then, um, keep moving forward is everything for sure. And, um, you know, you're going to fail over and over and over and over again in baseball and in life, uh, no matter what you do at the end of the day, it's, there's going to be failures involved. And, um, 
So it has a lot to offer to people if they're willing and, and able to take the life lessons that it can, it can give you for sure. And, um, I've been trying to incorporate that into an overall philosophy for a long time now. <laughs> well, I really appreciate it and really appreciate you making the time to come on and talk to us. Um, Ben, do you have anything final you want to ask? Of- uh, yeah, just kind of one thing, um, kind of in the spirit of this week at, uh, over at the blog, we've been doing kind of some uh, draft research and a little mini series on that. Yeah. And, uh, did you say you're in Orlando right now? Yeah, I'm in Orlando. So a quick Google Maps search tells me that that's about like 40 minutes from Stetson. Is that right? Yep. Yep. So have you really made your way that direction at all since last season wrapped up? Um, not since last season wrapped up. That's funny that you had mentioned that though, because it is. Ben, tell them why you're tell them why you're asking about Stetson. Provide some context. Yeah, so um, one of the guys I had covered for this draft series is uh, Logan Gilbert. Oh yeah, yeah, and um, yeah. I mean, there's been a really great crop of uh, right-handed pitching in particular come out of there between yourself and Corey Kluber and uh, Jake Drum. And I guess what it looks like is uh, this kid's sort of outperformed. Um, all three of you guys to this point. So yeah, he's supposed to be the real deal. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. Making fun of Ben because of course he had to put a Lindsay Coggle reference into his write up. That's funny. (laughs) Um, I have not checked him out. I've heard about him and I know he had a lot of success in the Cape Cod league. And, um, I was planning on maybe going up there actually this weekend for the alumni baseball game. But, and then I was actually talking to my mother about maybe going and catching opening weekend. I'm sure he'll be pitching the first game of the season, but yes, the word on the street is, is that he's a, uh, he's a power righty with like a 95 mile an hour fastball. Who's got room to grow into his body and, um, that he's something special. One of the most exciting prospects to come out of Stetson in, in a, in a little while now. So could you like do us a solid and go say some nice things about the Mariners? <laughs> That's <laughs> fun. <laughs> you know, if you happen to be there. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. That's fun. I mean, I have nothing bad to say. I mean, so yeah, I definitely, I definitely, if you ask, I will definitely, I will definitely do that. Right here. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Lindsay. I really appreciate it. Yeah, for um, sure. And do you have like a Twitter account or Instagram or anywhere where people could follow you? Uh, kind of follow. I've, I've enjoyed watching your um, experience of Venezuela, which is a country I don't know a lot about, um, but yeah, yet troubled place. Oh my goodness. That's a, I could do a whole entire podcast on that place. I really could. And um, just about how the different levels of emotions in that, in that place that you, that you feel when you go there, it's just so beautiful. I mean, it's, it's definitely the most beautiful place I've ever been to, uh, just as far as landscape and natural beauty is, is involved. But, uh, yeah, it's a tough situation there. I was staying in what was considered to be probably one of the nicest hotels in the entire country. And there were plenty of days where I woke up and I didn't have running water. So, yeah. Um, so it was, um, it was interesting, but it's filled with passionate people, very passionate people and very, um, loving people for sure. Um, it's a different culture from America. Definitely. They don't, they don't know too much what the idea of, 
uh, individual space means. Um, and they can crowd you a little bit, but once you get over that and you just accept it and you just realize that it's just a part of their culture and it's not, they're not being disrespectful at all. And it's a wonderful, it's wonderful people there. I can't speak highly enough about the people there. And I enjoyed all the conversations with all the players and the teams that I had there. And just, you could see the pain that they, they felt about the a place that they loved and the place that they were obviously very sympathetic and patriotic towards being, being torn apart the way that it was. So, yeah, I know that, um, that weighs heavily on a lot of, well, Gutierrez, Franklin Gutierrez isn't with us anymore, but, um, but that cost him and Felix, obviously, um, a, a lot of strain. I can only imagine what it's like having to pitch through that while you're concerned about your home, your family. Yeah. It's That's something that I think went really underreported in baseball this year. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's no doubt about that. Um, there was a lot of guys that were would be in tears when I would talk to them. Um, so... Yeah. And just, um, you know, just simple acts of just, you know, whatever it might be, just mean the absolute world to those, those people, you know, it's weird to get done playing a baseball game and to have little kids come up to you and ask you for food, not your autograph. So yeah, it's, um, it's different and it's humbling and it kind of makes you appreciate being able to walk into a room and turn the lights on. I'm not saying that there wasn't time. I mean, for the most part, I could walk into any room and turn the lights on, but there were plenty of times where there would be rolling blackouts and all the lights in the entire city would just go off. <laughs> so, you know, there's that stuff doesn't happen here. So, but, um, you know, you kind of, you kind of just accept it and you immerse yourself in it and you kind of just take from the experience what it has to offer and you formulate a lot more gratitude for the things that you do have here because of it. So it's, it was a great experience. It was really hard, but it was great. Some of that life wisdom that you were talking about. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if, and now you have a good conversation opener. If you run into Felix at a uh, spring training, if you're ever, you know, up in big camp for the day. I talked to him about it last year. Cause I was down there last year. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, I forget. He Went through the rehab. Yeah. Well, I, I went up for a game and um, I was there when he was starting. And then that previous off season, I had been in Venezuela as well. And I sat down and I talked to him and um, he was just so happy to see a, a, a gringo that uh, was receptive to talk about his home country. And you could tell that he was, you know, he was kind of upset and distraught at the situation that was happening. And he was also spoke very highly about, uh, about the same things that I saw when I was there. Yeah. Uh, in that spring training vein, um, Kate and I separately, but both are making our way down there again this spring. And, uh, do you have any like automatic go-to spots down there that you, uh, would recommend to us and our listeners that are a must fit? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you guys have, um, I mean, this is the, this is an obvious one and, and I'm not saying that I'm as big of a fan of it as everybody else is, but you, you guys have in and out burger in Seattle, right? No. Okay. And that's obviously one, but then there's another place in Arizona called oregano's, um, which is an Italian joint and it's 
it's probably, I don't know whether I look forward more to baseball or oregano's when I go to Arizona. (laughs) (laughs) It's, um, it's unbelievable. And then there's yard house, which is in Westgate, which is also unbelievable. That sounds like a baseball theme place. Yeah. (laughs) No, it's, uh, it's, I think it's a reference to the 200 or whatever beers they have on tap. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, but those three, I would say are amazing, but I would say if you could only go to one oregano's and then to get, I'm writing, I'm writing. Yeah. Yeah. And then to get the Kazuki for sure. Get it, get it and don't feel, get it and don't feel bad. Don't even feel guilty about it for a second. What, what is it? It's just, um, a lot of sugar. <laughs> um, some of it's warmed up in the form of a cookie on the bottom. And then some of it is cold in the form of ice cream on top of it. Um, but it's, it's no joke. <laughs> it's absolutely no joke. Yeah. It's a must, it's a must visit. And there's like 10 of them in the areas too. So, hmm. Yeah. Well, we appreciate the tip. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, definitely. I look forward to seeing you guys during spring training. Yes. And if anybody who is listening to the podcast uh, wants to go up and say hi to Lindsay, obviously, you should. Where can people find you, get in touch with you, follow you on social media, whatever? Yeah. um, I don't, uh, I guess... I guess the Twitter would be the easiest way. Maybe, um, my Twitter handle, I guess, I think it's just my first and last name, I guess. I don't, yeah. At Lindsay Coggle. Um, I don't, I'm not too involved in social media too much, but, um, if guys, if people come out to spring training and then, um, they want to say hello and that they just heard me on the podcast, they can do that. And they know where to find me, I guess at the Peoria sports complex. You'll be the one on the mound. Yeah. Or running like a chicken with his head cut off from field five to field four or (laughs) yeah, yeah, whatever heard. I always say we always look like we're herding cattle during spring training. So, um, but yeah, just running from field to field, but, uh, I always take the time to stand, stop and talk to somebody if, if they want to. So that's the best place to do it for sure. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for joining us and thank you to everyone who listened. Um, and we will talk to you next week. Sounds great. Thanks, Woody. All right. Bye. Wait, wait, wait. Don't go anywhere yet though. Okay. I'm still here. Yeah. It turned to D.